0: It was just another week in the life of Adam Zagoria, with a concert one night and covering the Big East basketball tournament the next. But this was March, 2020, just as COVID-19 was blowing up. Adam now takes us through his journey as the pandemic upended both his life and his industry. So first of all, thanks for, for having this conversation. Yeah, No problem, great time. And um, why don't we start by just explaining um, where you were when you think you were exposed and, and what happened next.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I'm a professional sports writer. I cover a lot of college basketball and some NBA. And I was at Madison Square Garden for the Big East tournament. You know, it was almost a year ago now, Dan, in March. I was at the Big East tournament. I was also at a concert uh, the last big concert at the garden, it's an almond brothers, uh, tribute concert on March 9th, I think. And then I was at the big East March 10th. Um, you know, and that was the same week. If you remember, you know, obviously that Wednesday night, uh, the NBA shut down and then all sorts of, you know, major sporting events and events across the country started to get shut down when, you know, the pandemic really got real. And, um, You know, my family and I got in the car and left, left Manhattan that Friday and went to New Jersey. And about a week later, I started getting a really bad cough and some headaches and a fever. And, um, you know, it it turned out I had, I had COVID. My wife gave me some Tylenol, put me on Tylenol. And, um, I think I got my first COVID test on March 24th down in, uh, Cape May County and at that point they weren't you know I was one of the first positive tests down there they weren't really sure like how to handle it they were a little the nurses were kind of hesitant to even you know let me in at this place where I was getting tested um, you know and long story short I think they called me like a week later on April 1st and told me I was positive and um, you know I'd say after about 10 days or two weeks I started to feel better um and then over the course of the summer i tested positive for antibodies a couple times so it's basically like it's you know it's crazy in two months it'll have been a year since i since i got it
0: and yet you only had like a a a two-week experience
1: yeah i would say it was really bad for like a week or 10 days i wrote a big story in the star ledger about it i mean you know my fever was at about 101 or 102 while I was on Tylenol. So, you know, without Tylenol, it might have been 103 or 104. You know, I had these, the worst part was like this awful hacking cough that wouldn't go away. And I was, you know, I was doing like phone interviews with basketball players and coaches. And and if I listened back to the, to the replay of the tape, I was like coughing, you know, while I'm interviewing these guys. And um, I would wake up in the middle of the night. And my shirt would just be like drenched in sweat. And I would kind of stumble to the bathroom and take off my shirt and put on a dry shirt. And, um, you know, it was really rough for like, you know, again, about 10 days. And, you know, it was it was so early that like no one else I knew had had it. None of my friends had it. Um, you know, I started to tell people at first I was kind of a little you know, you're a little ashamed or almost embarrassed that you have it. And then I eventually started to tell family and friends and I wrote a story about it because um, at that point, nobody really knew what to expect, you know.
0: And did any of your, your family members um, come down with it from?
1: Yeah, that's I mean, that is the crazy thing, right, is that I lived, you know, we went to our house in South Jersey at the Jersey Shore and I, I did quarantine away from my wife. In a room downstairs for that period of ten days, and you know she was great, would kind of bring me food and leave it for me. Um, so I didn't stay in the same room with her, but amazingly, she never got sick um, and didn't test for antibodies over the summer, so she never had it. And our kids, uh, they have a 16 and a 12 year old. They didn't they didn't get sick either. So, you know, I think my wife must just be really must be really strong that she didn't get it. But, you know, now, of course, she's still worried that she, that she might
0: get it. Well, everyone is, yeah. who hasn't gotten it yet. Right. And how does that, like, And how, how does that work, in you know, in terms of extended family? Like, have you, has anybody else, um, not directly from you, but, you know, have you, have you seen how the disease plays out? Elsewhere. Well, look, look, my mother-in-law
1: passed away um, a few months ago and she had it. Um, you know, she had other underlying health conditions, um, but she had COVID. She was in like a nursing home facility. So, um, you know, we've experienced, you know, up close what it's like to lose somebody from it. Um, you know, my dad is 92 years old. And luckily hasn't had it. You know, there were about two months there from last March to May where I obviously didn't go visit my dad because I didn't want to get him sick. Um, I made sure I tested positive for antibodies at least twice and negative for COVID twice before I visited him. Um, now, when we go to visit him, my kids wear masks, you know, around him. And really, I just kind of go visit him. Um, so, you know, we, obviously, you know, we lost my mother-in-law and, and that was tough.
0: I'm just very sorry to hear that. Yeah. Thanks. And how do you, how do you see, take that experience of, of you have folks who get through it. Okay. And then folks who have issues or, or uh, a lot worse, and then how do you see it play out in the, the, in your beat in, in the sports world?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, it's crazy. Look, I'm a professional sports writer and I've spent a lot of my life going to sporting events. And now I haven't been to a live sporting event since the Big East tournament in March. Um, I've been, you know, basically covering Seton Hall and the Nets and other events that I cover off television and going on two or three Zoom calls a day and talking to basketball coaches and, And players on Zoom calls. Um, you know, and there's something, there's something to be said for that. I mean, it's safe. You're not, you're not putting yourself at risk. Although there are, you know, there are sports journalists who are out there going to games. I mean, just last night at the Nets game, a bunch of my colleagues were there wearing masks and, you know, they go to the game, they watch the game, and then they jump on a Zoom call afterwards with Steve Nash and Kevin Durant and James Harden, you know, and I'm doing it from my house. So, um, it's definitely changed sports reporting and sports journalism because, you know, a lot of reporting is seeing things with your own eyes, being in the same room with someone, being able to tell their tone of voice or how they're reacting while they're speaking to you in person. Um, and now we're doing all that off Zoom calls. Um, but I look at it as, you know, I've been doing this for 25 or 30 years and for one year, it's really not that big of a deal to to give it up and to you know just cover stuff remotely, uh, you know, because it's it's for safety reasons and you know eventually things will get back to normal and we'll be interviewing people in person again, I would assume. And then just you know from a larger you know there's obviously a lot of questions about whether sports should be happening at all, whether there should be any fans at events, you know it's it's I think part of the problem is some NFL teams, for example, had fans. Some didn't have any. Some college basketball games have some fans. The, all the ones here in New York and New Jersey don't have any. Um, so there's really been no national, you know, plan or plan of attack on on how to handle it, and that's you know contributed to the the virus lasting for so long.
0: When when you when you conduct these interviews and 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 report on a team um, remotely there's plenty that you could go on about like what you're missing or what you're losing are you gaining anything from that from this though
1: um I mean it's convenient right it's like you know I think everyone is sick and tired of zoom at this point and uh, we'll all be glad when it goes away but I think there will be things that we keep uh you know, from the pandemic, you know, after it's over, like it, it's definitely more convenient to dip into a Zoom call from your home office or your, your couch, um, you know, and write in a place where you're more comfortable for, you know, for example, like if I was, if I was at a Seton Hall game, I, I'm covering Seton Hall for the, the Star Ledger and NJ.com, you know, I could theoretically go to a game at the Prudential Center, but you would be sitting up on the second level far away from the court, as opposed to court side, where we would normally sit. You have to be out of the arena 90 minutes after the game ends. Um, and, and you're not, you know, getting direct access to the players. You're on a zoom. So I made the decision early, like, you know, it's not worth it for me to take the train or drive out to the Prudential Center in Newark to be far away from the court and have to leave the arena in 90 minutes. You, know, you get a better view on television you can see what's going on uh, but it, you know in an ideal world you'd be courtside and you'd hear the things the players and the coaches are saying and you get a better sense of what's going on so uh, I, you know it's definitely more more convenient now and you know I'm able to get a lot done I'm able to write a that story a Seton Hall story a recruiting story all in in one day I'm covering a multiple levels of basketball from the NBA to college to recruiting and you know I feel I can get a lot done.
0: So what you what you lose in access you certainly gain in productivity time and not the uh, not having to commute. Yeah, and I started. don't have to I
1: don't have to huff it you know huff it out to uh the Barclays Center or Prudential Center um and I understand that you know some people are going or in different parts of the country they're going. Cause, 'cause that's what they're accustomed to doing, and that's and that's fine um but i'm not I'm not really sure how much you're you're really gaining by you know being in the arena
0: well, not everybody has the commute issues of the greater New York City area either yeah that's of course yeah, yeah. It, it
1: it varies on where you live
0: but I like how you put it that you have a you almost have a better perspective watching it remotely rather than um being courtside or up on the second level.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, if you're a journalist and you're going to a game, you want to be as close as possible, you know, in the old days the Knicks all the Knicks beat writers would write courtside. They, you know, you could you could look at the bench, you could hear what they were saying, you could see how players reacted if somebody got hurt, you could see it. Um and the Knicks a couple of years ago started pushing all their beat writers up higher and higher in Madison Square Garden. Now they're up on the the bridge, like at the top of the building. Um, so you know the guys from the New York Post and the Daily News and stuff. You know they're going and sitting up at the top of the garden, uh, and then they're jumping on a Zoom call afterwards. And you know I'm just not sure that's that's worth it when you you know when you could watch it on TV. But you know that's obviously up to them and and their
0: decision. Do you see um, do you see this this way of covering? um extending afterwards or is there a spot for you know the sideline reporter in football as well as like the play by play folks from the booth or the the press box folks in baseball games
1: well i th- i think there's a concern that um you know professional sports leagues are going to use this after the pandemic as a vehicle to you know to limit the media and to, to prevent the media from um, you know, coming into locker rooms and into press rooms and that they'll, uh, you know, basically limit access, um, by either continuing, you know, with Zoom calls or severely limiting the number of reporters who, who can cover a game. So, yeah, I think that is a concern, you know, going forward for the, for the media. I mean, look, I understand that the media has, you know, we've had a president who for four years, said the media was the enemy of the people and that's been very destructive for journalists and a lot of people have bought into that but uh the journalists are really just the the conduit from you know from whatever the subject is the you know the knicks or the nets or president trump or whoever to um the public and that's how the public gets a lot of their information is, is through the media so you know, the better access the media has, um, the, the better information the public is getting on any subject. Um,
0: and that would be especially true in an entertainment um, subject like sports, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, if I'm, you know, if I'm in a locker room or at the game, I'm going to see things and hear things that the average person, you know, at home is, isn't going to see. I mean, you know, you also get a lot of information talking to coaches and players and people at the games before they happen or after they happen. That's, that's where you network and get a lot of information. Um, and that, you know, that's all sort of limited now by, by people not being able to go to games. But, you know, again, I've been doing this a long time. I have, that's why you get people's phone numbers as a reporter. And, you know, anytime I meet a coach or a player, I say, Hey, do you mind if I get your cell phone so we can stay in touch? And, you know, you develop, relationships and in some cases friendships with these people. Um so now I you know, I stay in touch with everybody by by text and and that's how I get a lot of information. Um so I'm still able to you know break news and and uh create content, you know during a pandemic, but you know, I don't know what it's like for you know, for younger reporters who, you know, maybe don't have as many uh sources and stuff.
0: And being remote, you don't have, you don't rub elbows with those younger reporters either.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that, that doesn't really affect me, you know, yeah. I think, I mean, like, for example, I have a couple younger guys, you know, college and high school guys that write for my site, Zags Blog, and, um, you know, it you know, I don't want to sound like the old guy telling you to get off my lawn, but, you know, a lot of it, like, I've been in this industry a long time, and. I put in my time, you know, covering high school girls basketball and high school girls soccer and high school football and, you know, covering a football game and having to file from some crappy press box when it's snowing or raining or running into a pizza joint in Passaic, New Jersey, and asking if I could use their outlet so I could plug in and, you know, dial up my old school Internet to file my football story. Um You know, and that's I I learned a lot doing that and a lot of a lot of my colleagues, you know, came up that way and put in their time. And now because of the internet you have a whole new generation of you know, people who can just sit in their basement and get information off Twitter or off T V or whatever and, you know, post a story without ever really, you know, interviewing someone face to face or having a relationship with athletes or coaches that allows you to develop, you know, information. So you know I think a lot of these younger guys have been kind of spoiled and think they can just write a hot take or write anything you know based off stuff they're getting off Twitter or social media. Um, and, and you know they're you know that's kind of a whole separate conversation just about the technology, but
0: sure. Well, let me ask you one last COVID related question that, that's kind of been nagging at me um, at towards the end of the NFL season the uh the san francisco bay area um strengthened its uh lockdown provisions such that um the san francisco 49ers weren't allowed to practice and travel right um, they went
1: they moved to arizona
0: so in effect you had you know professional sports franchise um skirting the rules Ignoring what's going on and moving to some place that has more lenient rules, in Arizona, which is arguably as hard as hit um, state by COVID as any place. Like, is that? It obviously worked out, and and you know nothing lit leapt out in terms of sort of what the the health ramifications were, but from a I guess, disease management perspective, how it intersects with sports, um, you know, the ongoing keeping the games rolling. Like, how did that come across? And was that the right move? Well, look, I mean, I think the main thing, Dan, to
1: keep in mind is that there is a ton of money involved in the in the major sports. Right. The, The NFL, the four major pro sports in this country, plus college football and men's college basketball. You know, there's you know, billions of dollars at stake. Um, which I, I know you asked about the NFL, but just as an example, the the N C A tournament was cancelled last year and they lost, you know, three hundred and seventy five million dollars as as a result of it. So they can't afford not to have an N C A tournament this year. So they're gonna move it and have the whole tournament in Indiana and try to have a, a bubble there because they you know, if there's no NCAA tournament and there's no revenue from it, then other sports, you know, women's college basketball, tennis, golf, soccer, all the other sports will be hard hit by not having the revenue. Um, and going back to the NFL, there, you know, there's billions of dollars at stake, TV contracts at stake. So, um, you know, it's not, it wasn't really a viable option for any of these teams to, to stop playing. I mean, you saw like, the Ravens had to uh, postpone some games, and you know different teams were affected by COVID. The fact that we've gotten to the point where we're the NFL playoffs are on schedule, and the championship games are going to be this weekend, the Super Bowl is going to happen, is really pretty incredible. You know the Browns did play that game against the Steelers without their head coach, and they won the game, which is pretty crazy because he was sidelined with COVID. Um, you know you have various NBA players and NBA games you know postponed or being put in quarantine a lot of college basketball coaches are have had it games being postponed but still something like 80% of the college basketball games are being played so you know it's it's kind of how do you want to look at it like it's you know basically it's sort of been a success right they they had an NBA season in the bubble it was a great success it was tough on the players They were away from their family and friends, but they completed the season. You know, Major League Baseball completed its season without, you know, any major problems. Um, and now we're about to finish an NFL season on time. So that's all, you know, you have to kind of view that as a success. On the other hand, um, you know, there's a lot of people saying, well, why are we having at least college sports at all? Pro sports is they're being paid. College athletes are not being paid. Why are they? Why are we risking them playing? Why are we risking putting fans in arenas? Um, you know, and the counter argument that you hear from a lot of college coaches is these kids are safer in, in a safer environment with their college team because they're being tested. Um, they're you know more or less in a bubble with their college team, and if they weren't playing, they'd be out going to parties or going home to see their families, and and they'd be more at risk forgetting the virus so um you know i think there are pretty good arguments either way and you know obviously this country mishandled the pandemic badly from the beginning there was no national plan and uh hopefully now that we'll we have a new administration that'll that'll change
0: all right well i I agree And, and, and it's You know, unfortunate, but yet with some relief that the the leading health issue going into uh, the championship weekend for NFL is concussions and and the concussion protocol and not COVID. I think it's sort of, uh, you know, a collective sigh of relief that it's not even noticed.
1: Yeah. I mean, hopefully, you know, it'd be great if Patrick Mahomes is healthy enough to play this weekend. I mean, he and Lamar Jackson both had concussions and back-to-back weeks that were that were pretty scary that's a you know that's a whole another topic for the nfl but um you know I, the nc i you know i cover the ncaa tournament every year i've been to the final four every year since 09 and at this point it's unclear if the you know if the ncaa is going to even allow media you know at the ncaa tournament they they may just have their tv partners there and not you know print and internet reporters and we may just be covering that, you know, on zoom calls. So, um, you know, again, for me, it's like one year out of 30 years, I'm fine with it, but, uh, it's, you know, it's definitely been a a crazy year.
0: Lots of truth in that. Um, well, good luck to you if, uh, you do go out to the tournament and um, good luck if you have to cover it remotely I'm not sure where you'll need more luck though
1: alright Jeff thanks a lot
0: appreciate it Adam thanks so much for your time thank you for listening to this episode of surviving a series of conversations with folks who have gotten through all sorts of trauma and disease not everyone can do this with so much college hoops in their lives but Adam shows it doesn't hurt